and welcome to episode 340 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast recorded on the 17th of September 2020. I'm Mosh Davis. I'm joined this evening by Tom Francis. Hello. And Alex Wiltshire. Hello. The Sony presser has been and gone. We know what the PS5 looks like in two different flavors. We know there's another Final Fantasy, which is a bit of a, you know, breaking the trade descriptions act. Um, <laughs> For the 16th anything... time. Yeah, yes, time. God. <laughs> uh, anything got you excited from their press event? There was some death loop footage. That was. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, I'm starting, I still haven't entirely got it in my head, but I'm starting to grasp kind of what sort of thing it is, I think, maybe. Because <laughs> um, it, like, the, the focus of that trailer was about, like, is there any way I can kill both these two targets in the same loop? Um, and it seems like that is kind of the long-term thing. Because it's kind of, it's got something in common with Mooncrash, right? Where Mooncrash was a sort of... Um, roguelikeification of the immersive sim which is the most impenetrable way I've described a game <laughs> um, but uh, uh, taking a like wide game where you know, there's lots of different options but it's not that long and then having you replay it and try and uh, try and accomplish multiple feats in the same run um, that's right but with some persistent stuff isn't there yeah and then this is that but as a hitman kind of game where it's all about taking out certain targets and then then there's that other lady who shows up who can be controlled by other players, but maybe not. <laughs> is that still not clear? Oh, no, it is. Sorry. Yeah, it's uh, what I mean is that she is sometimes controlled by a player and sometimes not. She can be oh. AI controlled as well. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like the, um, the original pitch of The Crossing, isn't it, really? Yeah. Which is hardly surprising. I do like a studio that kind of riffs on ideas and ideas and never quite left behind. They're all kind of returned to and embellished and built on. I like that. It feels neat. Feels like mm. feels like it's in safe hands, basically. I guess like um in the case of the crossing, it was the game never got finished, so it's still uh you know, they didn't get closure on that idea. <laughs> never got to find out if it if it would work. Um and this sounds like a much more constrained and sensible version of that idea the crossing sounded like i had a hard time imagining it working out <laughs> yeah it was a sort of so in, in intensely online as well like you know, this is <laughs> this is sort of much, insufferably could, online <laughs> yeah it's just always online but this is um yeah like you could completely happily play it single player entirely whether you can play it you know without being connected to the internet is uh is another matter but but that's yeah. But it's like the design is is yeah. It's up to you. I like games that let you play on your own. I don't really like playing people with other people. It stresses me out. <laughs> yeah, me neither. In general, um, this uh, the stuff they showed of, of Deathloop had a very Bioshock energy. I thought in terms of uh, everyone's wearing masks and also that like enemies have similar kind of powers as you do. They're all very plasmidy powers. You know, sort of pushing things around and. Um, that that sort of halfway point of magic and and guns. That's a very Tom Tom a nexus of Tomness. You do fire somebody out of a window in this as well. So I yeah, know. I did notice that. <laughs> it didn't escape my attention. <laughs> <laughs> I got a little like ticker tape thing through my <laughs> system that alerts me when anyone's been knocked through a window. Um, <laughs> I think I'm not. Uh, maybe I'm not as excited as you might 
suspect from that combination of all my favorite things uh, just because I don't have a good handle on what it's really like to play. I think these games are hard to show in trailers because trailers are always got to show the action and the guns and that's not how I want to play. And so I still haven't really seen it played the way I, you know, yeah. a Dishonored. I think they should have gone, it's like they should have gone Ubisoft on it and done a, you know, sort of a, a, a dramatized um, player, mm. you know, playthrough, like a <laughs> session, yeah. you know, with people saying implausible things. <laughs> but at least you get a sense of you know, that liveness of the game. The the voiceover, which is in character, uh, explains that what you're seeing is like, well, he's, this is the 25th time or something that he's gone through this this selection of enemies. Um, so I wasn't quite sure whether that... Because he, he just he just murders his way straight to the guy that he's meant to be killing um, pretty quickly. I was wondering if like on your first go, whether that is a lot more hesitant and each one of the bad guys you fight is actually much bit more of a big deal or whether they are kind of just throwaway enemies as they would be in any first-person shooter. I mean, that's that's kind of exemplifies the kind of the issue. Yeah, I mean, I've, yeah. I've also found, really struggled to find much interest in it because, yeah, it, it's kind of... I don't even know what it is. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I... Because I like the look of it, definitely, and I like the the promise of it. I like the where it's coming from, and I like the philosophy, and you know, these are so much about it. But and yet, <laughs> I haven't watched the trailer because um, I just sort of like, ah, I... <laughs> and that's that's my uh, my review of it. Much more excited about COD, were you? Yeah, yeah, because you know where you are, with COD. <laughs> you prick. <laughs> 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 I thought I thought the um the the Sony presser as in general was a an a bit of a car crash of really? communication. Not in Oh see, yeah. Just yeah, simply yeah. in the fact that um so the, 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 the amusing thing about it was that um two of the games, so Final Fantasy and Demon Souls, the trailers specifically said at the end that they'd be coming to PC. But that they, but they were on a timed exclusive um, on console, uh, prompting lots of news sites to uh, PC orientated news sites to trumpet loudly that uh, new games were coming for PC. Only for Sony then to claim that human error <laughs> caused uh, uh, <laughs> this to be wrong, and uh, for those um, traders to be retracted. Like it's still, they're still visible in that form on um, on the stream of the, the show. But the trailers you see on YouTube are um, have the PC bit excised from them, which <laughs> seems just incredible. You know, yeah, the, the cat the, does not go back in the bag at this point. Yeah, <laughs> like the, the deal, like the idea of them go getting to the reveal night and not having closed the deal, <laughs> like because it's kind <laughs> of important to to all of the companies involved. I mean, I can totally see it from Sony's point of view. It's madness. To um to reveal uh some semi exclusives big massive games semi exclusive of your console that you're trying to convince people to play on your console and for them to also be on <laughs> PC it's madness why would you do that so I can completely uh, uh you know re- you know their reason for uh for them only being on 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 PlayStation yep fair enough but. To get to that point for them to actually be shown otherwise is just oh crazy, what a mess! Because this is this comes as part of a whole tranche of problems with, and this is going a bit Sony and PlayStationy. But the other thing I um, that um, I was aware of was 
that uh, that they th that they uh, opened pre-orders for the PlayStation Five um, at the same time. Well, actually, just before the actual um, event, um, and they all sold out within six minutes. And this is after one of the um, the executives told Eurogamer a couple of months ago now, saying. We're going to tell everybody in plenty of time. It's not going to be dropped on anybody. It's all going to be fine. Uh, as it played out, it was it was it was the the pre-orders were dropped uh, without without an announcement. And by the time that, that there was an announcement, they'd already sold out. <laughs> so everyone's really angry. Everything everything's a mess. The PlayStation fans are angry. The PC fans are angry. Oh, it's a wonderful mess. Microsoft is there. <laughs> Rubbing, rubbing the hands. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> so, I mean, is your conclusion from this that it's just bullshit that they won't be coming to PC? Absolutely, or... it's totally. Okay. I, I, I will, I will bet a very small donation uh, <laughs> to, to something. Um, that, that, yeah, like, of course they're coming to fucking PC, and like, and that's what that's what so, Square which, Enix. Which games were it? Demon Souls, Demon and... Souls, and um, and Final Fantasy. Hmm. Um, yeah, and they'd like an important an important deal wasn't done on time. <laughs> oh, I I do love it. I love it when this stuff happens. <laughs> the whole point of console drama. launches. Yeah, there's no <laughs> point in console launches if you can't get a like a delicious, terrible mistake, which probably sees people <laughs> getting fired out out of your out of view. <laughs> <laughs> refreshingly vindictive take from alex there <laughs> <laughs> did uh, did the games uh, other than your uh your delight at other people's suffering did the games in, in any other way please you uh i was um i was i was a little distressed at how i mean I, i've been struggling to find um the, the next generation exciting on any level um mm. because i feel that you know uh, whatever it's just not you know, nothing particularly looks amazing and um but then there was the the harry potter game avalanche's harry potter game which apart from some of the character work and the sort of spatial expressions the the world itself actually looked next jenny like a little bit special you know it actually seemed to conjure some of the film feeling about it um, which I was sort of surprised by, and I was annoyed that it was a Harry Potter game that, that managed to conjure this. Hmm. But in general, not 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 really. We've got a remake of a game, a good game, an amazing game, a historic game, but it's a remake. Final Fantasy, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Call it juicy. Um, oh. <laughs> so I didn't see the whole thing. Um, was there any Horizon stuff? Ooh, good question. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't see it. All no, right. I don't think there was. I, I think they already no, did it. Hmm. Oh, so is that maybe not a launch title? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, like it's it's the thing. It's the thing you'd want to launch with if you could. Uh, but I feel like if it wasn't part of this, then it can't be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there are a couple of frames from it in some um, quick cut compilation right at the beginning, but I don't think there was any kind of focus on it. Yeah. Oh, there, there was another kind of um, probably sackable offence going on at Sony with this as well. <laughs> In that, um, I think that um, the, the Horizon and the Spider-Man game, Miles Morales, um, are both also coming to PS4, at, you know, presumably at, at the same time or whatever. 
So you don't even need a PS5 to play those ones. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm all up for this the new generation. May there be many more. <laughs> oh, and the, you know, and obviously this is an in like Nvidia um you know uh played the, the perfect cards by announcing it, you know the new generation of, of uh, GPUs which um put you know which are present huge amounts of power at half the price of what they were in the previous generation you know you know it's a sort of it's like pc looks incredibly incredibly kind of um enticing by <laughs> comparison yeah i was thinking about which which of these things because for the first time in a long time xbox actually kind of tempted me because yeah. they've got me with game pass um which is obviously their strategy they've made it so absurdly good that you sort of can't not get game pass at the moment and yeah. then they when the console decision comes up you're like well on one of these consoles all the games are basically free <laughs> like it seems like just everything is included and i'm already going to pay for that anyway for pc but then counterpoint <laughs> popped into my head which is well everything that's on xbox is going to be on pc and i have it for free on pc um even if I don't get the Xbox. And so I'm probably going to get a PlayStation just because the exclusives are better. Because like, it would be different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. But I do think that Microsoft has got, I think it's got the generation, the kind of the 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 the, the standpoint of the generation right in the, I think that um, console graphics are good enough now, you know, that the, uh, a generation ahead of, of visual fidelity is is not as important as as people's expectations for uh free media or you know apparently free mm. and easy to to get media so you know yeah um we're in we're in the world of of netflix now and microsoft has got it completely right that if you offer a platform with everything for a, a low monthly rate then that's exactly what people want and and they're not focusing quite so heavily on the visual element because it's not as important anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what have people been playing? Marty? You want me to go? Well, yeah. I've been playing the same thing that Tom has. Um, That's I've why been playing you should go first. All three of the same games that Tom has, which are... <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I forgot the Paradise Killer. <laughs> Paradise Killer, a monster's expedition through human ex exhibitions, and through uh, puzzling expedition, exhibitions. Now, sorry to. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah. Talk over you. Yeah, then the name changed at some point. It's now oh, monsters expedition through puzzling ex exhibitions. My I, apologies. I, I imagine I don't know how that happened. I have no no insight into this, but I imagine somebody somewhere said maybe it should like give a sense that it's a puzzle game, <laughs> which is fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, um, all three of these things I like. Um, I don't know which one to start. Which one should we start on, Tom? Let's do monsters. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's a puzzle game. It's an exceptionally charming puzzle game written by uh, Pod member uh, Philippa War. It is a soccer bonsole puzzle game where you push logs around. You're you play a tiny little monster who really hates trees, and you're on a large <laughs> number of islands, and you walk into trees and knock them down in order to create bridges to other islands and um this creates 
puzzles because you can only uh, roll logs in one direction. You can kind of push them up on ends in another direction, but then, you know, they may, uh, you, you can't necessarily push them up if you're standing on the tree stump that you pushed them off in the first place. Uh, and so you need to sort of shuffle them around, bounce them off things in order to, to get them in the ideal positions. But I, I, I've just been, this is like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the best version of that game yeah. Yeah. Uh, that has existed. Uh, over so many different kinds of iterations. Yeah, I agree. As I'm playing it more, I, I think that Alan, because uh, I've played a lot of puzzle games designed by Alan, um, including mm. a lot of puzzle script games, which is just um, this you know very simplistic, not simplistic, but very um, lo-fi engine for puzzle games um, where he'll just have an idea, he'll make one, and he releases it to his um, Patreon backers. I guess maybe publicly as well in most cases. Um, and so I've played loads and loads of different twists on the soccer van thing, which is basically pushing crates around. Um, and there'd always be some weird quirk to it, like, oh, these crates are sticky, or these crates merge when they push into a wall, or these crates have boxing gloves in them, or these crates have mirrors <laughs> on them. Um, and this one, because I've played it, it's a surprisingly big game. I have not finished it, and I must have played it for at least six hours, I think. Um, <clears throat> and I'm still, we're still discovering new quirks and consequences of just logs rolling around <laughs> like it's just logs rolling around but there are so many different ways that those two things get that those things can interact with each other themselves um that's uh you know i've just done a whole chain of islands that were all based on a sort of an interaction between logs that has never come up before and is now every yeah. single puzzle involves it um and yeah it's just logs like every <laughs> like 80 yeah. percent of the islands in this game are just like a little island with two fucking trees on it and maybe one rock <laughs> and yet i've done hundreds of those and they're still you encounter a new one and it looks ex much like the others and then when you try and solve it you realize oh this requires me to do something i've never done before <laughs> i he's alan is i don't understand I don't understand his mind, how he's able to tease <laughs> such incredible expanses from seemingly simple ideas. He's, it, yeah. Yeah, it must be able to see this whole thing so clearly because um, the puzzles, like, you know, a puzzle takes like three steps to solve in this game. I could probably design a puzzle like that, like not a good one, but I could do it. But ones that, you know, I just did one that after about six steps into the puzzle after I've knocked over certain trees and rolled them into certain logical places and done certain things, I then realize, I discover that, oh, to get this where I want it to do, I need to do a whole circuit of the island in the other direction so I can get to the other side of it, push it one square there, and then do a whole circuit back to push it another square in a different direction, and then do a whole other circuit. And all the time, like the state of the island is changing and stuff. I just don't know how you see ahead to that solution being necessary and then designing the whole thing so that that is the only solution, you know, because most of these things exist yeah. to, um, or I should say, I don't think there are any unintended solutions to these islands. So some of them do have multiple solutions, but there's a lot of them, it's here is the solution you're supposed to find. And um, in order to make sure the player finds that and understands that rule, you have to ensure they can't blunder into a simpler solution that just, oh, you can just shortcut it by doing this. So at every single step of that, you know, 13 step process, you have to make sure that there's no way they could come at it from a different angle, nudge it one yeah. square in the other direction. There must have been so many little exceptions and loopholes. The island also has to not um, be obvious about the solution because as soon as you start kind of stopping players from doing unintended things you funnel them to, or it becomes obvious that it's funneling you to what it does want you to do but you you feel like you're discovering well all of these almost all of these i've mm. never, i've always felt this like i was discovering things 
It's very good at yeah. making you feel like you're smart. Like uh, <laughs> it, it, when you're when you're stumped, it, it 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 feels like a very generous game. Like it's constantly teaching you things and bringing you to it, the conclusions in a way which increase your understanding. Um, which is which, which isn't always the case with puzzle games, which can sometimes just feel like they are frustrating your agency or being obtuse, or even when you reach a solution, perhaps you feel it was yeah, it was kind of there was some deception in, in, involved in why you couldn't see it immediately. Whereas this, it, it always feels like it's it's sort of championing you and bringing you along with it, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, there's a real art to that, and I don't know quite how how it's conjured. I think it's the atmosphere a little bit, because I was thinking, because it, it definitely shares a few um, parts of its kind of um, uh, lineage with Stephen's Sausage Roll, which is also a game about mm. manipulating kind of awkwardly shaped things. So they're, you know, from one place to another in a soccer band, you know, level. But Stephen's Sausage Roll yeah. can often feel quite, if not, <laughs> not unfriendly, yeah. but... But definitely mm. at odds with you. Like it's a, yeah, it's a it's dark a, dystopian world, and it's, <laughs> it's dark a horrible shit. nightmare. They're <laughs> <laughs> just that trapped because is... you you have that that fork is like bolted to your body. You cannot like drop the fork <laughs> or put it away, and it means you cannot turn unless you have a huge amount of space to do it in. And it's actually yeah. like quite unpleasant and oppressive to play because it's just oh, I'm just stuck. I just can't turn around. I'm just argh. all yeah. the time. You're being you can't do the basic thing you want to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, yeah. but you're never, you know, when you can't do something and you suddenly go, why can't I do that? And then you think, oh, well, of course not, because I'm standing on the stump and that obviously I can't push <laughs> it from there. That's what's so amazing about this is that it, it has a large number of quite esoteric rules, um, but they they all feel completely intuitive about the because of the way that it's contextualized. Yeah. And I, I'd be interested to know whether... Uh, Alan came up with this, this rule set first and then decided <laughs> that, you know, logs and stumps were the way to go or whether uh, it, the rules emerged from the sort of the, the, the framing of it. I want, I want a, a short film to be made. I, I want him to be <laughs> sitting in a, in, a, in a National Trust property and he's just smiling <laughs> a spring afternoon, idling on a bench, watching the world go by and... And then a, a National Trust uh, um, grounds person comes along and, and cuts down a tree before him. And then suddenly <laughs> the whole game is written that very afternoon. Pretty sure that's what happened. <laughs> uh, Pip's writing works works so well in it too, because I think there's, I was mentioning earlier, that so many of the puzzles are just like a small island with two trees on it. And there's a risk there that that starts to feel... Uh, say me even when it isn't repeating itself because it, it so far it doesn't really repeat itself um in terms of the actual puzzles but it can kind of look samey and i think a good snowman is hard to build had this issue to some extent mm -hmm. um but because the islands you're getting to have these little exhibits on um the exhibition part of the title um they're all relics of of hu the human world that the monsters have come across and then sort of made guesses about um how our society worked and the, those the plaques on those are um, uh, Pip's work, and those are such a lovely little treat for getting to a new island because there's there's also a distinction between like some islands you're just getting to, um, or some islands you just don't need to get to, and some some um, are on the critical path. And usually, if there's an exhibit on it, you want to get there, um, and that's a sort of gentle way of guiding you. And then, yeah, finally making it and, and reading one of those, just having a little break from the puzzle and um, having a laugh, is really nice.
Mm. Yeah, definitely. And they're like, yeah, they they are premier pip as well, like um, friendly <laughs> and kind of uh, knowing and fun and kind of insightful. I did have a like, so there's a critical path and there's optional puzzles by sort of um, going to to islands that you pass along the way. You know, you, you find out how to progress in this island, and then you might notice there's actually one off to the side that I can't see how to get to, um, and you can go back and do those later. That system did mess me up at one point because it's not communicated to you which ones are a critical path, which ones are not, at least not in any way I understood. Um, and at some point, I the critical path, um, I got stuck on the puzzle there. And I should say, actually, one of the biggest differences between this and, and uh, A Good Snowman and Cosmic Express is that it's much easier just to progress. It doesn't... Those games, it's like five levels in. I'm just, oh, I just cannot do this. <laughs> this becomes absurdly difficult so fast. Um, whereas this, the, the main critical path is in general very uh, uh, gentle with difficulty. It does. It has moments where it kind of ramps up and then it, it ramps back down again because you go to a new area and you learn a new rule and all the stuff to do with that rule will be very simple at first and you'll do lots. I really appreciate having lots and lots of islands just to show I understand the rule. You know, there'll be like seven in a row that all have the same kind of trick to them um and they're different enough that they don't feel repetitive but i get to completely internalize that rule before you start to challenge me on the really hard stuff but there, there was a moment where i just couldn't see how to progress on the critical path so i went back to i actually was wondering you know maybe i need to go back to find some other branch um and i kind of got lost i kind of forgot where i what the latest island i'd reached was and i went back and i did solve some of those optional puzzles and then a lot of others i didn't i struggle with those a lot because I can't solve puzzles if I don't know the scope. And so some of those islands, a lot of them, the ones that you pass, you can just do it. Like if you just sit there and think long enough, you'll figure it out. But some of them you can't. Some of them actually something else needs to change elsewhere or you need to come at it from a different island. And if I don't know for sure that I can solve it from this island, I will just give up so fast. Like my brain just can't operate without knowing the parameters. Like I need to know what is what is the scope of this puzzle. Mm. Um, and so I didn't solve many of those optional ones. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm done solving optional ones. And I didn't find the critical path. Where do I go now? And I was stuck like that for quite a while because I just couldn't figure out where, um, I couldn't figure out what, I couldn't remember which thing I was stuck on when I was sort of on that critical path. Um, and to be honest, I never really figured out where I was because there's an icon on the map and we've talked about, like we've discussed amongst ourselves whether, what this means and we haven't entirely figured it out. There's a little foot icon that labels one of the islands when you see the map. And I think my interpretation now is that is telling you that this is, this is where you need to go from to progress or it's the kind of the next step or the latest bit on the critical path. But what was confusing is it was an island I visited a long, long time ago. Um, and I was well aware that there would be another route off that island. That's very clearly communicated when you reach it. Um, and I, so I knew I'd be coming back there at some point, but I went back to it and honestly, nothing had changed. Like I'm still in the same situation I was when I first encountered this island and there's no way I can see to get the other solution. And ultimately, I don't really know. Um, uh, I suppose I must've accidentally found where I was on the critical path, but I didn't know I was doing it. I thought I was going back and doing optional islands. And when I did one of those, I suddenly, uh, you know, out of the blue was ended up back at that island that I was supposed to be on, uh, but from a new perspective and was able to solve it from there. Um, but I did 
it was unsolvable in the state that it was in. And so that marker on the map was kind of telling me to go there, but going there doesn't isn't how you progress. What I needed was the marker on whatever island it was that ultimately got me there. Yeah, I still I still haven't been able to fathom that. Sometimes I've had it where there's been two uh, little footprints on the map at the same time, and sometimes the footprints jiggle at you. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. that means. <laughs> yeah, I've had it where like the fast travel points will jiggle when I'm looking at the fast travel points. I'm like, well, yeah. I can go there if you like, but I don't know. And I get there, and you know, like any of these points, I've solved most of this, but some of them, there are some optional things I haven't solved yet. I think I do just want to be told like where do I solve this from? <laughs> like if there could just be some, you know, arrow or something, <laughs> just when I'm looking at an island I want to get to, can you just tell me, can I get there from here or not? Because I don't want to sit here for like 15 minutes figuring out how to solve this one island and then realize, oh, you just can't from here. You have to go to a different mm. island and do it there. Or, I mean, the thing that, that and I, this was actually part of how I got stuck was because I know it's possible to pollute puzzles this is a, a term that i think i learned from alan actually um puzzle pollution is where you can bring an element of one puzzle into another puzzle um and then the whole logic of that other puzzle is fundamentally different you know all the things that were impossible before might be possible now with this if you get one log from one island to another that's a game changer obviously and in mo- you know 99 of the time i don't see any way to do that but i know it's possible like it can be done and if it can be done, really a log could arrive anywhere. There's no island you couldn't potentially get a log to if there's if there happens to be some other island in, you know, way north of it and it's possible to kind of launch something off there. Um, and that's kind of cursed knowledge, like always knowing, you know, maybe you just can't do it and you've got to go to some other island on the other side of the world and uh, solve it from there. Um, I think Have you done I, that my, yet? Have you been able to have you have you brought a log to an island on a raft? I have and it was of no use. <laughs> uh, we, we shouldn't say how to do it, but I, I accidentally stumbled into how to do it and it was a magical moment. I was like, oh my God, this changes everything. And then I, I found a way to get to the island I'd sent the log to. And then when I got there, I was like, well, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, I think the the log slash raft uh, interactions are one of the kind of most delightful discoveries yeah. in, the, in the game. Yeah, that's the bit I'm on now, really, is there's a whole section that's all raft-based, and it's really lovely just to sort of, you're thinking in a whole new way. Um, and it's quite, like, brisk pace. You know, it's not stumping me on any really puzzling things, um, but just playing around with it in a really nice way. I do like that after you've sort of broken the the, the final puzzle, the kind of hardest puzzle of a sequence, then uh, you get to another sort of, separate location and and as you say the, the the first few puzzles in that are really trivial but sometimes they're so trivial it's like there's actually no puzzle there you literally just walk across an island and kick a log over and then you're on to the next one and that feels so cathartic it's yeah, just like yeah. fuck you tree yeah. i'm the boss of this <laughs> island <laughs> yeah i love it i really love it i think it might be one of my games of the year actually awesome. talking of islands We've also been playing uh, yes. Paradise Killer, <laughs> which is uh, a murder mystery set in the 24th of 25 transdimensional islands created <laughs> by immortal cultists intent on resurrecting dead nightmare gods. You know? Wow, well, I'm glad you gave the description because I <laughs> would not have got all of that. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a murder mystery. 24 islands, including the one that you're on, have have the backstory this is the backstory have failed uh in their purpose of resurrecting dead nightmare gods due to 
demonic incursions. And uh, this one was poised to be shut down and the Council of Cultists that run it moved to the 25th island, the perfect island, supposedly. Uh, but all the council members are horribly murdered. And so you play as Lady Love Dies, uh, who is a disgraced cultist and sometime conduit for demonic corruption, uh, who has been imprisoned in the sky for three million days. Um, but you're also a really good investigator, and uh, the living embodiment of justice calls for your release uh, to get to the bottom of the murders before any of the suspects leave and imperil the new perfect 25th island, which is um, which is quite a lot, really, for a concept for a game. Uh, in the parlance of the internet, it is a lot. It is for me. Um, um, it answers the critical question, what if Sherlock Holmes could double jump? Can you it's double a, jump in this? Yeah. Have you not? What? Oh, it sounds like someone hasn't been using enough foot baths. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that makes such a big difference to the game. The navigation so, is one of my main bugbears with it. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a it's a detective game. You're trying to solve this murder, and um, there's this currency of blood crystals which are just lying around. It's really funny because they're just lying in bins and stuff, and just on the ground. It's typical video game logic, like the money is just um, in the most obvious places. And I've ju- I finished it the other day, the whole game, and right towards the end, I stumbled across there's this demon who just kind of pops up all over the place and just tells you, I don't know, it just has weird little exchanges that don't usually aren't significant. But one right near the the Justice Building, which I guess I came out of at the start, although I don't really remember now. Uh, you return there once you're ready to finish the game, and I he was there, and I talked to him, and he gives you a little tutorial about that that money and why it's lying everywhere. <laughs> so, oh, okay, well, that explains why it's all in bins and stuff. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, you can actually, spend that. Yeah. Um, you can spend that to buy secrets and um, uh, to learn more about people's possible motives and stuff. So it's like an investigative currency, or you can spend it to unlock double jump or air dash and stuff like that. Oh my and god! Just, this is such a weird. This is contest. something that, and all all of those from the foot baths. Yeah, yeah, they both of them. New, new abilities come from foot baths. Yeah. Fuck's sake! This is this is one of my <laughs> irritations of the game is that it's just uh, I mean it's so kind of intentionally it's kind of self-regardingly off the wall that you mm. don't actually know what the like you're talking about those puzzles you don't really know what the parameters of this world are and so why would you know and some of the things you collect are just trivial um so i don't know why you'd oh, and when you can be buying secrets which really impact your investigation why you would spend money on a on a foot bath is just yeah. something that i never thought to investigate quite a lot um, of money because too. yeah yeah ah oh, that's annoying okay well i mean at least that that makes the rest of the games a lot easier for me the other thing with the currency yeah. that is, I don't think is a good idea is that it costs you money to unlock fast travel points. And so as and you're exploring... And to use them. Yeah. And the using part, I sort of uh, can see because um, early on in the game, you want to explore on foot mostly because you haven't been anywhere. So it's not too repetitive to, you know, um, even if the place you want to get is the other side of the island, you're discovering new places all along the way. Um, but as I'm passing these points, I'm not unlocking them because it costs me money and I'm so short on money. I need it for everything. So I do a whole lot of exploring one time without unlocking these things because I can't afford to. And then when I do, you eventually get into a kind of a currency glut. You get so many of those things that they, they lose their um, value. And at that point, I'd happily pay for any of these things, but I've, you know, I'm not there now. So I've got to go back and do another tour, basically, and, and unlock them all again by manually walking there. Um, and that's slightly annoying. Mm, I think, I, well, I haven't got, I'm not sure I've got the glut yet. So maybe that will solve <laughs> my problem. But um, I'm, I'm a terrible hoarder in video games uh, in general. So 
while I can I can feel okay about unlocking fast travel, I will never use fast travel. <laughs> it just seems like a needless expense when in fact I could just joylessly schlep for five to ten minutes across <laughs> this island every time I want to talk to a different character. Um, yeah, maybe we should say how it works. I mean, this is an open world sort of game like the island is freely explorable there are parts of it which are blocked off to you but you just sort of get freed from your sky prison plummet um many many feet down to the island from the sky and you can just wander all over it and talk to uh characters wherever you find them um which is i i think i i think maybe it would have benefited from more of a gated sort of structure like um like the Oberdin, which uh which isn't totally enclosed, but you sort of know that most of the puzzles for a given area will be solved by your investigation of that area. And this, it's just, it's so disparate. And because the the scenario you find yourself in is quite otherworldly, you don't really, it doesn't really pro- provide you with enough information about where to go and what to do to sort of be in any way kind of logical about your uh, pursuit of the investigation, initially anyway. Um I don't know how did you how did you feel about it? Did you find there was sort of quite a lot of buy-in and patience required of you right up front, or were you just totally I'm on board with this? I was pretty on board uh, quite fast because I think I was um, I did that thing of like I had an idea of what I wanted to to investigate first. You know, I want to look at the crime scene first, and then I from the crime scene I have you know a particular idea of who I want to talk to. But then because it is open world and you're manually traversing it um, along the way, I'll just stumble into loads of other stuff. And you know, if I run, if I walk past a, a suspect, then of course I'm going to talk to them and they'll give me some more info that leads me to someone else. And I quite like that kind of free forming, bouncing around thing. Um, I felt it gave me, gave me enough direction off the bat because when you investigate the crime scene, there's some very obvious, you know, kind of, hmm, that sounds suspicious uh, bits to it. Um, and... Uh, well, actually, I should say <laughs> the crime scene is a, there is the gating it does have is is bizarre because the crime scene is sealed uh, in that there's these special doors on it that uh, can only be opened by certain methods and they're all shut. And so you're told, oh, all the council have been brutally murdered and you know it's been a terrible crime to end all crimes, they call it. Um, and then as you ask more questions, uh, it becomes clear that the room is still sealed. So actually no one has seen the bodies of this council at all. It's just like, we assume, well, they're in there and a murderer killed the guards outside. And, you know, we heard some terrible sounds. There's some blood uh, elsewhere that, you know, matches their blood. So we assume there's a terrible crime scene inside there somewhere. That <laughs> it's a horrific thing. That's the crime to end all crimes. <laughs> but nobody's seen it yet. Uh, and so you're, part of your job is to unlock those, uh, those doors. And that kind of gets you, you know, deeper into the mystery. But yeah, it's hilarious that they're just like <laughs> presumptive mass murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found it. Uh, I found it quite difficult to get into, but maybe partly because um, uh, I think it's partly just the order of the characters that I ended up speaking to first. Because there are uh, different characters in the island have different levels of regard for you, mm-hmm. uh, given your previous crimes. Um, and I spoke in turn to all of the most hostile characters, basically. <laughs> and uh, so it gave me this uh, this kind of impression that the, the game was going to be just me being hectored uh, continuously. Um, but then you do encounter the other characters who actually like you. And it's uh, and I think the writing in the game is pretty good. Like, I mean, line by line, it's, it's quite peppy. But I, I think the, the way it sort of orchestrates just a big network of uh, secrets and lies, basically, that you can 
cross-reference and go back to and then re-litigate is um is it's really kind of elegantly put together i think um, yeah, i haven't the- finished it though so I'm, I'm slightly worried that that because of the kind of supernatural parameters of the game that the that it's going to end up i mean i what is the point of asking about motivations in a world in which a demon can just possess somebody i mean it's <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly worried that i'm going to get to the end of the game and it's just going to be like eh, well you know a demon made me do it and you're like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> um well uh the same applies to the how side of things as well like methods like you know who, who had the mm-hmm. means to get into this well this is a world where you know uh people there are ghosts and there are demons <laughs> and uh people have magic powers um you know one of these people one of the suspects made the island you're on <laughs> so uh it's all it's hard to know what where the the boundaries are that didn't end up hurting it for me um on that side of things so there was one bit where i sort of like I'd really like done the legwork to figure out how it was possible within the rules I did know to get within this place. Um, and then there was a thing totally out of left field that depended on on non-real logic that was like, oh, come on, <laughs> if you can just do that. Um, but yeah, that, the thing you're saying about the writing, uh, the, especially just the characters are the, the fun of it for me. Like everyone is so strongly characterized and has their own, in some cheesy ways, you know, they're very broad strokes um, uh, stuff, but then also just fun combinations like Dr. Doom Jazz. I'm already on board from the name. <laughs> and then he has, he has a pink mohawk. Uh, he's wearing a, like a lab coat open at the chest with a bare chest. And he has robot arms, which are always behind his head at all times. Um, and he's Scottish. And written on his arm, like it, there's a sticker on his mo- robot arms. It just says child labor. <laughs> and I think there's one more word underneath it that's too small to read. I can read, read. it. And yeah, I, really I hope zoomed that, in on that, that as some well. Kind of, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, child labor resistance or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope it's not just I don't a pro know. child labor. The cultists don't seem to be have very good labor rights, really. Uh, yeah, well, that's on this that's an interesting angle to it. Um, yeah, is that you sort of the the more you learn about what it is your people are doing here and who else is on the island, uh, you feel a bit uneasy about the, your whole society and everything. Um, I can't say that it ever really addresses that. Uh, in a satisfactory way it doesn't really do anything with that it just sort of raises that and then leaves it um but yeah the, the characters are really fun and um yeah of course like solving a murder is just the the most compelling premise for a, for a game i think and mm. and for tv shows and for books it's just the that is the best story all other stories are worse than solving a murder <laughs> um yeah and so it's kind of like as long as you bring that home as long as you or as long as the it's themed around that and and doesn't otherwise fuck up then i'm very on board and i enjoyed uh enjoyed most of it a lot it does have two big problems with it one is um you just you can ask everybody about everybody else's alibi Mm. and also and their motive and you know there's what like eight ten characters and so the number of actual options to do that are is absurd and there's no downside to doing it and in 90 percent of those cases you can uh, reasonably intuit this person is not going to know anything about this but you can't really not ask it because you don't know that for sure there could be some critical piece of information there's no penalty for asking it and so you ask it and so a that's just exhausting there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these um and b the characters themselves you know like rag on you for it they're like why are you asking me this i just told you like i have no memory or how would i know that yeah. i was on the other side of the island like well yeah i 
that's my impression, but I have to check because who knows, like sometimes 10% of the time, those things do lead to concrete leads and you realize, oh, I had no reason to suspect this person would know something about this, but it turns out they do. And this is a critical piece of information. So now I've got to ask every single person, every single thing, and then just be chewed out over and over again. Aren't you listening to me? I wasn't there or I don't remember. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I've just got to ask. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like ultimately the solution is actually just crisscross the island a billion times and ask every character everything you can but i mean it does i mean despite that being basically what it boils down to you do feel like you're unpicking a mystery and i've had lots of kind of really satisfying aha moments where which has sort of upturned my understanding of an event or 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 caused a new suspect to sort of rocket to the top of my shit list um like with the questioning stuff i think i wish they did is just um I just want to be incentivized to ask the smart questions first. Like, I don't mind if I can ask them all, you know, well, one way to do it is just have, if they don't know anything about this question, just gray it out. Just say like, you know, put it on the UI. Uh, Yuri doesn't know anything about these topics. And Mm. then just saves me the the labor of asking. But actually uh, the ultimate system, I think, would just be that each time you ask a question, it kind of like wears out the suspect a little bit. Like you only get sort of five questions today. and so you'd be pushed to really think about what is this person likely to know? Because I love doing that. I love that I do have in- intuitions about this stuff. I, I know enough, mm. have enough theories. There's loads of information you haven't told me directly, but I put the pieces together and I, I'm pretty sure this person is going to know something about this. And I like um, doing that, but the game doesn't give me any way to express it. I just, I, I'm going to ask that question because I'm going to ask all the questions. And if you just mm. push me to ask those first and gave me some little incentive, some little reward for that, um, the game does have a, a concept of like a suspect being, you can hang out with them to increase your, your, uh, relationship. Um, and after you've done that, you can't do it. It says, come back later. And it's, I think it's just, if you talk to literally anybody else and then come back, you, it's refreshed again. And I would keep that idea, but for questions, like you've asked five questions, you're going to have to go away and come back to ask more questions. Um, and that would just push you to ask the most important ones first. Yeah, I have found in a few instances where I've had like a really important question to ask somebody and uh, they've just sort of rebuffed me in some way, um, which feels frustrating. I mean, obviously, that is in some way uh, credible because not everybody's going to open up to you the second that you you find something that contradicts them. But at the same time, it, it felt like my agency and my, my revelation has sort of been undone. A little bit, you know, I'd actually find a, a piece of proof that totally contradicts somebody's testimony. I go up to them and they would just be like, nope. And I have absolutely <laughs> no way of following up that because yeah. I, I, my character doesn't really have authority. I think mean, ultimately you can end the game at any time by uh, making a bunch of accusations, having some people executed and then dusting your hands of the whole case. <laughs> but uh, whilst that case is in progress, nobody is really obligated to tell you anything. Um, and, and so that kind of feels quite annoying in, in very, a few seldom circumstances. Um, I, I find that quite grating. But, um, yeah, I think that yeah, the problem is all of the, as you say, all of the agency is going to be in the trial. Um, and that's right at the end of the game. There's only one of them. And so, yeah, when you have an explosive piece of evidence, you can bring it to the person and they're just going to give you their denial. And that's really unsatisfying. And it would be nice if there's some way for that to just give me some closure on that or just sort of acknowledge, yeah, you've got them. There is, I think there's a little bit of um, unspoken language there. Well, not unspoken because it's language, Um, (laughs) but um, uh, a secret rule that uh, when your character says, well, we'll see a trial or something like that, that kind of means, okay, you've got them. Like this is, this is valid. Um, Mm. And they, they're going to have no further um, 
you know, way to weasel out of this. Um, and actually the trial, uh, I won't sp spoil anything obviously, but um, the structure of the trial is my other big problem with the game. It's very constrained and restrictive and it doesn't tell you how it really works. Or they, tr they, they claim to tell you how it works, but uh, you need to know a lot of other subtleties and particularities of how it's going to work in order to answer the questions correctly. You know, there's sort of um, basically each of those, you have all these different crimes in your case file, you know, files evidence under which crime it relates to. There's like seven of them or something, or mostly related to the same one. Um, but they're all treated as individual crimes. And for each one of those, you must kill somebody. <laughs> like you have to pick a single person who is entirely responsible for it and they are going to die and everyone else is, is fine. And that's just such a rigid and binary structure for, you know, one of the strengths of the game and the writing is that it's way more complicated than that. And it's low, you know, all this interesting, juicy information about how it's all connected and how multiple things are going on at once. And then the trial just throws all that away. And, no, you must pick one person and kill them. <laughs> and some of those crimes are just like, you know, I mentioned those doors that the crime scene is, is sealed by. Uh, each one of those is a separate crime. <laughs> so for each of those door openings, you've got to kill somebody, <laughs> which is crazy. What did you feel about the, the whole aesthetic of the game? Uh, I liked it. It was it's sunny. I think it's vaporware. Wrong. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, go ahead with what you were going to say, Marsh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 please. Uh, no, that was that was all really. Just uh, I like um, you know bright and sunny aesthetics, especially for a detective games. That's not the norm, um, and uh, it just made me like enjoy spending time there more than I always would. Yeah, I don't actually that, that that aspect of it I do like. I do like the fact it is on a on a paradise island basically, um, albeit with some fairly kind of graceless looking buildings plonked on it, yeah. and tenement blocks and things. It's quite interesting. There's an interesting discussion about architecture. I think you would appreciate in in Alex about how uh, how function should be celebrated. And actually, if we can learn to appreciate function, uh, then uh, then we grow uh, ourselves as observers, um, hmm. which I'm sure. <laughs> no, big hum from Alex. <laughs> it's, it's a big hum from me. <laughs> I really don't want to derail things. <laughs> well, anyway, the, the 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 rest of the game has a, a sort of um, what feels like a sort of mashup jam aesthetic, whereby very uh, it's a three D environment, but the characters are sprites, um, and there's a lot of mixing cavalier mixing of, of different resolutions i would say and there's just um i it's not it's but it's not a jam game and so th those those are choices and so it's sort of it's like evoking a sort of punk style which doesn't emerge from from the actual kind of the necessities of punk <laughs> you know but actually feels quite self-conscious I, I found myself really irked by it uh, initially, I and I hate the music. Um, oh, really? Which is sort of synthy funk, uh, which I, I can't stand. Uh, but I can turn that off, so it's fine. A lot of people have been raving about the music and and saying um, they love it, and they'll just fire up the game just to listen to it and everything. Um, I am somewhere in between in that I do like it in general, but I am just it's an open world game, and you're just roaming this world for hours and hours. And these very upbeat, very aggressively peppy tracks are on a loop. And I did get sick of quite a lot of them. Luckily, <laughs> you can uh, you can edit the playlist. So it's it's just playing all of the tracks you've got access to on shuffle. And every now and then you, you unlock a new track. Um, and you can just like blacklist tracks, basically. Just say, actually, I've had enough for this one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, I feel like it's it's speaking to a, a slightly different uh, generation than the one I occupy. Like, I feel like it's a, although it's not meme particularly, it feels very online, as as they say these days, in, in a way, which is just sort of, I, I don't know, doesn't really have any particular resonance for me. So I think it's probably it's probably just me rather than the game. That's but does it, does it resonate with um, with the theme? Like, you know, does it speak to uh, cultists who have sat on an island for a million days or whatever the hell they're doing? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, it does evoke that as well. But the the the, the sort of mashup aesthetic is meant to be cacophonous it's meant to be incongruous and brash um and all the characters the designs as tom was describing they feel a lot like uh the, the, you know when you come across a player in an mmo who has specifically picked the most dissonant cosmetics to combine <laughs> that's that's what they all look like and i feel like it's uh it's it's obviously looking back at games like dream daddy as well because all, all the characters are sort of in these uh, sort of slightly erotic glamour poses um it's a, it's a combination of things that uh i find personally slightly irksome it's coming from like it's it's coming from i'm going to pronounce it wrong uh sort of like the japanese you know uh visual novel stuff particularly danganronpa isn't it is that Dan, danganronpa i think it's called that does is that where this is coming from I think it draws a lot of different inspirations. Certainly, visual novels are a part of it. Mm, okay, I would. I should say that um, Danganronpa, the second Danganronpa, is set on an island, and you're solving a crime. That's a series thing, anyway. But you're solving right, right. a crime, and there's quite a lot of. I mean, like, yeah, there's, it sounds like there might be some sort of referencing, like heavy referencing there. I'm sure. I would love to hear John Ingold rant about this game because uh, the that exhaustive approach of just you ask every question because there's no consequences to asking questions and you just do it all. That's exactly what he's always railing against. And mm. he's normally, you know, most games that's like there's four options and you're going to ask all four. In this game, it's like there are 18 options on every one of these characters and you're just going to exhaustively go through them with no thought or anything. That's like the polar opposite of his whole philosophy is like in his games. You get one choice, and after you've asked it, all the others are gone forever, and also you've been punished in a way you couldn't have predicted. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm going to make a beeline for that foot bath, though. Fucking hell. <laughs> oh, yeah, foot bath, so what it's all about. I mean, the entire island is covered in uh, sort of knee-high walls that you can't quite get over with an easy yep. jump. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm forever like getting to my next investigation target by like hurling myself off a, a tenement block roof and doing a double jump and then an air dash over a fence and then landing in a bush and then like mm. crawling up and saying, "Okay, now tell me about the night of the murder." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so so one thing is, it, I, I wish I wish I had a better map. The map is kind of obviously intentionally kind of shitty and lo-fi, but it doesn't <laughs> mark things on it with, like footbars, and it doesn't mark things like. Um, communications towers and at one point there are several leads which require oh, you to God, go to a communications yeah. tower and I've been to a whole bunch of what are literally models of communication towers in the real world and they are not interactable so I don't know what it wants me to do or where to go um, and I feel there's a few things like that yeah I just had to google that there's there is just one particular oh. place <laughs> uh, you can just google okay. it <laughs> How about that Crusader Kings then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> A perfect segue. That's good. Very smooth. 
Thanks. <laughs> was that a soundbite or did you just put on your soundbite voice? I just put my soundbite voice. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, record that one for future use. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we've, have we all been playing this? I, yeah, I have been playing it too. I haven't have, got very far in it though. So. Yeah, nor me. Are you, are you doing the island? Yeah, are you, in, are you kind of on the other side of the tutorial but still in what, Ireland? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've died in Ireland. <laughs> Lived and died. Um, did you? Yeah, did either on. of you play um, uh, two? CK two. I was scared by the UI, and I stopped playing it maybe twenty <laughs> minutes in. Yeah, I I played some of the tutorial. I think because I, I remember I talked about it at the one of our Res live shows. I played it just before that. So there's evidence that I have played that game, but only for like, I can't remember, like a couple of hours at most. Um, and this, like people kept, I was really excited about this because people kept saying that, oh, this is like much more accessible and the UI is so much better and it's all, you know, much more approachable. And I think that's a bit like saying like, our sun is relatively cold for a star. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure compared to Crusader Kings 2, all those things are true. Compared to any other game, this is still massively opaque, obtuse, uh, impenetrable, just reams and reams of reading to understand the basics of how to use it at all. So I mean, I mean, what like you're doing is describing is. the game. You're describing, that's what <laughs> Crusader Kings is. Yeah, I guess so. Um, there's God. It is. It is all about like jurisdiction law and just. Uh, I think yeah, I didn't baby. realize how all the stories you hear coming out of it are so brutal and you know red in tooth and claw. And then you get into it and like you just physically cannot attack somebody unless you have a legal reason to do so. <laughs> like, well, it's all about just is there any way we can sort of bend or reinterpret the law so that I'm allowed to invade this country? <laughs> and that's like, that's the real challenge is winning the war then is pretty easy. It's just, you've got to come up with the paperwork to support it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I played a fair bit of um, two and three is much better at making giving you the reasons why things are they like they are like the mm. it, it the information you need to understand the situation and plan for it is so much more readily available but but i you know the, the but i can completely understand and know that that um there is no reason for you to, for a newcomer to understand what they're meant to be doing and why information is important and and how anything works. I think the tutorial is actually pretty good at an overview of what your um, abilities are, like what what you're there for, what you can do within the world. But like um, I know, Marsh, you were frustrated about the speed of the 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 way that the the the, the, the settings for the time, how fast time passes in the game. And like I would say, because I think there are four settings and, and you felt that none of them were quite right. Like they're either far too fast or far too slow. Um, but like, well, the game, you know, after 15, 20 hours, you realize that like you spend the game just browsing lists of names, <laughs> cooking up plans and just <laughs> and look at, looking around you. And so time you know, you can put it on slow and fast and, you know, you put it on slow so you can browse without having to think about stuff and you put it on fast when you're browsing while you want stuff to happen. 
You're just browsing. <laughs> it's a browsing game. It's like yeah, it's like going on Amazon for game. <laughs> finding a wife. <laughs> <laughs> but but you yeah, finding a wife, but what the, the tutorial doesn't really get get across is that you're also finding wives for everyone around you <laughs> like yeah. you're making matches all the time and you're thinking and you're sort of plotting it's a plotting game you should be just sort of rubbing your hands for hours on end i was not ready for like I, i'll i'll try and find someone a um uh, i'll try and arrange a marriage and i'll pick the person i want to marry off and then i pick the person i want to marry them to and they're like yeah absolutely fantastic plus 100 agreement to this um i say yes to it and then, like, their nephew marries my cousin. <laughs> like, wait a minute, that isn't what I said. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah, someone vaguely related to me will, will marry someone vaguely related to you. That's job done. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> yeah. There's loads of stuff I don't quite get. I, um, after I had the tutorial, I sort of um, continue to try and conquer Ireland. They start you in Ireland, I think, because it's a, a sort of vaguely attainable goal to actually rule all of Ireland. You start out with just like one county and then you, you slowly take over territories. Um, and I discovered at some point that somebody in my court had a claim to part of Wales. And I wasn't really, especially looking to invade Wales until I'd you know, finished um, ruling all of Ireland at least. Um, but I noticed their military was vastly inferior to ours. <laughs> Those are words I did not get to see very often with our fairly puny forces. And I thought, well, if there's someone we can easily beat, maybe we should do it. <laughs> and we have a legal reason to do it. Um, so I invaded Wales and I conquered this tiny little county I didn't really want. I was just kind of doing it to, to have a victory. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it, it became a bit of a pain in my ass in that, you know, the, the rightful ruler kept trying to take it back for some reason. I don't know what his problem was. <laughs> Um, and in the meantime, I was um, trying to fight, trying to invade um, the last two counties of Ireland that I need to, to get all of it. And while this is all going on, um, there, there's actually a dialogue box that pops up that the title of which is Crusader Kings. Um, and it is from the Pope. And he is saying, I think the first one, he doesn't even ask you anything. He just announces that there's going to be a crusade. Like, it's coming up. We're going after Jerusalem. Um, just, just have that in your mind. And then like a few months later, you get another one pops up and says, okay, this crusade is going to happen soon. And your options are, are like, oh, I will surely pledge money to this cause and give them 50 gold, which I'm definitely not going to do. Um, or you can just sort of promise troops, but in no specific way. And that gets you some piety, I think. Uh, and then the other option is, oh, I'll have to think about whether I'm going to join. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh God, I'm really not going to join this. Like the list of, of belligerents is uh you know the, the the holy roman empire uh on their side is this huge list of like 25 nations and then the um on the jerusalem side uh another list of like 28 nations and it's just going to be this epic world war that i really don't want to be part of and then the, th the third dialogue box for the crusade is um you just have to choose whether you're going to give money or pledge troops uh, and there's no decline option. The only weirdly, I think you can decline it just by closing the window, but that's not given as an option. So you can just like leave the Pope on red, basically. <laughs> uh, and then, so I, um, there is there is one more option on that screen. Though I was reading this and thinking, oh god, I've got to. I've, my choice is really at a promise to commit troops and not do it, or promise to commit troops and actually do it, because I couldn't really uh, see any other way out of it. Uh, but there's one other option on that screen, which is redirect. I'm like, what, is, what do you mean by redirect? And I clicked on that. It costs 100 piety. 
and you just choose a new target for the crusade. What? <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, like, this this crusade sounds like a fantastic idea. Absolutely, Pope, I'm right there with you. Couldn't agree more. Of course, we have to we have to do something about these heathens. No question. Couldn't be more on board. I just have one little suggestion. More of just a you know blue sky thinking. No bad ideas. Could it be about whales? <laughs> <laughs> and for 100 piety, yes, it can. <laughs> just oh my a god! Whole crusade now. All those 25 nations. Forget about Jerusalem. And the huge alliance of, of nations defending that. We're just going to go after Wales, actually, because <laughs> I spent 100 piety. And I've got this army, like my entire nation's forces are 800 people or something. Oh, I think <laughs> I might have been up to 1,000 by that point. And like a few months after I, did, after I joined this crusade, which is now against Wales, uh, just these swarms of 4,000 men are just crawling all over England, descending on Wales and ripping it apart <laughs> from every side. Oh, God. <laughs> I really would have and hoped the end that of the Pope would have sent in, like, oh, we're just going to check on the claims here. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Wales, it, might, it was totally legit because Wales had converted to Lollardy. They were no longer Catholics. They were now oh. Lollards. Oh. <laughs> oh. I had to, had to read up on what that was, but uh, that's not Catholic, and therefore they are, they are heathens worthy of Fair being game. torn apart. Um, and I I couldn't even really participate in this war because actually Wales was way stronger than me and so my armies was no good against their armies but I just sort of like dipped my toe in just to sort of show support like yeah sure I'll I'll pretend I'm tackling a single Welsh army while you destroy the whole nation Um, because there's this pot of prestige when you agree to the crusade it tells you there's this how much total prestige is going to be distributed between all the people who took part in it according to their contribution um and I was thinking, well, I better get try and get some of that, I guess. Um, so I'll just, you know, show some support. Uh, I did achieve nothing. I think I lost my only battle. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then at the end of it, I got thirteen and a half thousand prestige, <laughs> which is I had three hundred total from my whole life up until that point, and I got thirteen thousand from this like joke war. <laughs> you didn't even have to travel far for it either. Yeah, it was, I already lived there basically. <laughs> Amazing. I can't stop getting beaten up by my own son. And you <laughs> convinced the Pope to wage holy war. Yeah, you told me about this. Was he challenging you to like single combat? He was challenging everybody to single combat. That was the problem. He was beating up all of my courtiers, and the courtiers were coming to me and saying, Look, you've really got to do something. You've got to do something. So, like a black eye. <laughs> So I took him in hand and he fucking pulped me. And now he goes around beating up whoever he wants. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That was a disappointing dialogue box. (laughs) Presumably one day you're going to be this guy, right? Oh, I guess so. I'm thinking I might kill him off before then, though, if I can. (laughs) There was a a good story um, Austin told on the Waypoint podcast. that he had, I won't tell the whole thing because it was uh, much more about like what he was going for in that game. But he was try- trying to unite his empire, working really hard so that when he died, his his son would inherit a, you know, a unified thing rather than it being all divided. Um, and when he finally did die, uh, the first notification he got when he started playing as his son was, your plot to kill your father is no longer necessary. So he's died of natural causes. <laughs> <laughs> so your heir can actually be scheming against you and you just inherit that scheme. <laughs> cool game. Cool game. What have you been playing, Alex? Um, I was going to talk about a couple of sort of weirdo games that I've been playing recently. Um, um, one of which I was really pleased to see on Steam because um, it's a game that I had on my Mac 
for a long time. It's like a sort of so almost a cult game. And I just, I, nobody's remade it and nobody's kind of riffed on it. It's this sort of bit of a, like a creative dead end of a game, but I've just found it fascinating. And I just don't know quite how it exists. It's called um, Defense of the Oasis. Um, and um, it, it's sort of, it, it's quite, it's like a sort of a flash era sort of style game, sort of, I was, guess we're talking kind of early 2000s, I think. And, um, and I had it on my Mac um, and it hadn't been updated for years and years. And then in like a, a OS update a while ago, um, it all apps had to be 64-bit and this is 32-bit, wouldn't run anymore. So I had to sadly delete it because I'd never be able to run it again. And then uh, a couple few weeks ago, out of nowhere, it popped up on Steam as a new version, um, which looks identical to the way that it always did. But and I got to play it again, and and, and I was really really pleased. Um, and like, it is really is a weirdo game. Um, the best description for it, and this is on the Steam page, but like, it's the most apt one. Um, it's a cross between uh, Minesweeper and Civilization. <laughs> um, <laughs> in that you play, um, you're kind of it's set in uh, ancient Egypt and. Um, you're presented with a board of um, fog of war kind of land, which is a bit like the kind of white um, uh, minesweeper kind of board. Um, and you click, you start off on an area of the board and you can click tiles that are adjacent to you to reveal them. Um, your object is to survive um, um, an attack by barbarians, which is going to come in I should know this really, but I think it's about 16 turns time. And these barbarians are going to come from a tile most most often on the edge of the board. Um, and they're going to make a beeline for cities that you'll uncover as you uncover the, the land. Um, and then uh, they come for you. Once they've destroyed the cities, they come for you. Um, and if you've got not enough energy left, it's game over on a run. Um, uh, so it's a game about taking um, punts on uncovering the right um, the right tiles um, in order to discover enough stuff in the land that you're going to survive the attack. And you survive the attack by fundamentally, as I said, you're finding cities. Um, and then once you've found a city, uh, two cities, you can join them together by a road. And once you join them by road, the populations of those cities will start expanding. And if you join all your cities by road, you can get a large population. And when you've exhausted all the turns that you've got, um, uh, you get a 10 second countdown and you can reorganize your population, your, your kind of national population um, by city. Um, because if you've discovered where the barbarians are going to come from, you will know the city order in which they're going to attack. So you know the one they attack first. So you'll generally put most all of your as many population as you can into that one. And then you can kind of cascade down if you've got enough population left. Um, there are lots of other things you can do as well. Um, there are mines. Um, if you find a mine, uh, which are in sort of these kind of uh, mountain blocks uh, or tiles, um, you can put population into them and they will research technology. And as the turns go by, 
um, they will research slowly the technology and they will give you bonuses in battle. Um, there is an oasis somewhere um, in the land. On, it's always on the edge of the of the playboard, but somewhere around there. And in there, there's a obelisk. Um, uh, if you find that, you'll get a bonuses. If you uncover the entire um, uh, oasis, you get an energy bonus. If you discover um, plantations, like these sort of um, uh, desert camps, they will grant you workers and you need workers to spend on building roads. So there's loads and loads of stuff going on. There's like loads of reasons to to choose uncovering one thing in term, in, over attempting to uncover another thing. Um, and and the, the game is really good at giving you clues as to where would be a good place to, to, to you know, where, where would be a good bet to uncover next to, to um, use one of your precious turns. Um, because around cities, there are, um, there's a sort of like a, an eight, the, the, all the, uh, the adjacent tiles to a city will be grassed. So all the way to those tiles. And when two grass, two cities grass tiles intersect, it'll be thicker grass. So you can make a choice like, you, oh, I know there's another city around here, or I know there's a city around here. You can click around and you can find it and not waste too many turns. It's really smart. <laughs> and it's got loads of ideas. I can, it really... Um, the levels that you go through are randomized, but they have certain patterns to them. So there are several campaigns of which different, have different flavors. Um, and you, you know, like there are some levels where there are loads and loads and loads and loads, and loads of cities, like so many cities. And all you're doing is uncovering cities and you're spending turns on kind of uh, putting roads between them. But then, oh, my God, I don't know where the barbarian's going to come from. Um, and that's important because when a barbarian um, horde destroys a city, they become more powerful. So you've got this great big land and you've probably got quite a lot of population divided across it, but you didn't know where to put your population to defend against the barbarians. Um, and Can as you... the barbarians kind of churn through all your cities, they get more and more powerful and you just can't defend against them. Sorry, Can Tom. you move yeah. people between cities after the evasion starts? There is, um, so the, yeah, another system which I haven't described yet is that you can, you can also invest turns on clicking in on cities that you've already um, uh, discovered. Um, and you may discover uh, weapons, which increase their fighting ability, um, money, which is basically score. But you can also find specialists, these characters, um, who if you find them and uh, uh, defend well enough against the barbarians, they will stick with you for a few turns afterwards. And one of those um, specialists is a general, and they allow you to reorganize your popula population if you're going to be facing two attacks of barbarians in a turn. Huh. So, cool. yeah. Yeah, I was, I was play this um, because you very kindly bought it for me. Um, and the tutorial is really good. Like it's... Uh, I think that game that you just described would be overwhelming to learn yeah. all at once if if you're just playing the game and they try to do the Crusader Kings thing and just pages and pages of text. Uh, but instead, you play a much pared down version of the game um, over a, you play basically a campaign. And the, you do, yeah. for the first sort of three or four levels, there's no fog of war at all. So the whole central thing, you know, like Minesweeper without the concealment, <laughs> um, all, everything is known. And you, it's just about you know spend your turns wisely to build the roads and um, 
make sure you know how to click on a city when the barbarians come in and then it slowly introduces like okay there's a bit of fog and you've got to get rid of that and um then it was quite a surprise when i realized oh the fog is the game like that's yeah. it's always going to be foggy everywhere from now yeah. on um <laughs> And early on, you're just, you can do everything, you know, you can, I can connect all my cities with roads, I can discover all the cities, and I can get all the technologies, and then I'm totally ready for the, the invasion. And it's very satisfying to do that. And then it's only towards the end of this tutorial, you realize, oh, like in the game proper, I have to decide between these things, like I can't, I don't get to do everything, I just don't have enough turns, or I don't have enough followers, I'm going to have to make hard decisions about that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there are some times where you do get to, you have done everything, and you feel great, because you feel like I've got this squared away. Um, um, but then often, but yeah, usually, you know, you've, you're deficient in a way. And it, the, the worst thing is when you don't know where the barbarians are and you have <laughs> no idea where they're going to come from. Um, and that's so painful. Um, but, you know, it's quite good at giving you, you can just, you can lose an entire level. Um, if, as long as you've got enough energy left to get rid of the, the remaining barbarian forces, you will go on to the next level. And the game is balanced to expect you to do that a few times in a run. But um, but I have had that, some terrible, terrible things. So I've been going fine. And then you know, I've come across one of these lots of cities levels and just get completely taken apart by. <laughs> they... Um... So the energy, that's like your sort of, it's almost like ammo, right? Or once they get to the obelisk, the obelisk can like zap them if it has enough energy. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you that, kind of earn that, it. That's persistent across levels, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, it carries over. Um, so you'll kind right. of build it up as, as much as you can. Again, balancing it against finding cities and finding the barbarians and, and all these other bits and pieces. Like it's pain, it's yeah. so painful sometimes. And I'm not, <laughs> and it can often, like it can feel really, I, you know, this is not a perfect game. It's really interesting. It's really strange because there's just so much going on in it. Um, it's definitely not a perfect game, partly because um, it can feel it can feel totally unfair because the chance element is so strong in it. Um, you can feel well, you know, I I never found that thing, and it's not wasn't for lack of trying, you know. You can definitely be better. You can be better and worse at it, but um, you will be powerless in some cases to to do well. Mm. That sounds deeply I, frustrating. I, it doesn't. <laughs> it it doesn't feel like that. You know, um, those games where you're constantly uncovering things and making kind of intuitive decisions about, you know, taking a chance on one thing over another. Like it, it's a it's mm. a it's it doesn't feel as kind of. Uh, frustrating as maybe I've, I've expressed is, is that because the, it's it's swift enough that it doesn't yeah, it's matter really quick. How, how... it's really quick right. you're kind of going okay. click 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 and then suddenly oh my god 10 turns left shit and then you know <laughs> and then i always fast forward through the last bit where you're kind of it's doing the countdown and the barbarians are rushing yeah. across so a single level maybe takes i don't know it could be 30 seconds it could be a minute it could be two minutes if you take your time hmm. yeah uh, I heard from the high score table that this won the grand prize in the IGF. Yeah, it did. Yeah, <laughs> the, the look at the short... high scores. They they spell that out in the in the placeholder scores. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like as a game design. Like I don't know, it, it came from it, that was sort of um. It's the is it the Sormus? How do you say it? Seamus, Sormus, Shormus? Oh, Seamus. I've been pronouncing Seamus. Seamus. Yeah, yeah. 
it's a weirdo game. I do recommend it. It was only like I, I did buy a few, but that, but that was because it was very very cheap. Tom, um, it's only it's only three <laughs> quid or something. So like, if, the, take a punt on it. Take a punt. I say with the the Minesweeper comparison, mm. it, are you able to infer what's under each square? Yeah, there, square there are, in the same way you can. There are rules about how things um, happen. So um, unless and it's usually obvious because that's the setup of a set of levels. Um, uh, you know, the, the barbarian starting point will be somewhere on the edge. Um, the barbarian starting point will never be um, adjacent to a city. Um, so it'll never be in a green square. The cities are always surrounded by green. Um, there will be a certain number of tent ones, and they'll be in an open part of desert, which will be a chunk of the world. Like there are loads of things that you'll un- you'll come to understand, which makes, you know, you know, you'll you'll just draw lines across it, you know, trying to pick out stuff. Mm-hmm. And once you've got a sort of like a sketch, a sketch or a framework for where things are in 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 the board, you can make pretty strong um, predictions. But often, you know, you'll come and go like, well, the barons could come from that square, which I've uncovered, or that square I've uncovered, and it's a 50-50 chance, you know, if you haven't found them. I like that. I like the sound of that aspect of that game. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it. It. yeah, mostly it doesn't feel unfair, but sometimes it, it, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to say, um, the other game I've been playing is also strange and um it's called hadian lands um and it's a uh hadian hadian h-a-d-e-a-n it's a a interactive fiction game by andrew plotkin who's kind of big in that world um and it's been out for years and years um and i have had it for ages and ages but i just hadn't got around to playing it um properly and i did do when i was on holiday uh, week before last and um it's really, really good. It's really good. Um, you are um, a very lowly student of alchemy, and you are on um, a, a ship, <laughs> a naval ship, um, which does alchemy and also is a school for alchemists. Um, and it's, it, it's, I don't understand that. Don't understand the setting, but it's very, very flavorful. Um, and some, and you wake up, and something is, something awful has happened on the ship. Um, these kind of weird crystals have kind of uh, bisected rooms and corridors and areas. Like no one is around except for the these the sort of um, former students and and tutors and things are all frozen inside these crystals. Um, uh and sometimes when you open doors um you look through a rift into what are called the hadian lands which are these kind of alien landscapes um uh which you really can't go into um and you uh are, you know you you don't know an awful lot about alchemy um but through the course of this game you're going to have to fucking learn alchemy to get yourself out of it um <laughs> all through uh, the text parser. <laughs> um, uh, but what it fundamentally is, is being an alchemist, um, following recipes of alchemy, uh, which are dressed in fantastically flavorful, crazy kind of words. Like, so you've got to perform the resonant Oculus creation. Uh, you've got to uh, 
kind of um, perform the anodyne evocation or the or like perform the categorical imperative. These it doesn't really matter what they are. They're just parts of these recipes, and you'll find throughout as you um, uh, explore the ship, um, you'll find these pieces of paper which give you recipes, um, which will allow you to do stuff like. Um, uh, sort of there'll be a, um, a a cabinet that's covered in fungus and but then you find a um a ritual which will create a fungicide um and you then you got to find the ingredients and then follow very complicated so the fungicide synthesis um you've got to find a chemic chemic retort you've got to put mustard seed in it and a sample of fungus you've got to find a saline bath you've got to seal it you've got to turn on the burner you've got to invoke the binding of antipathy that's attuning the mustard's toxic qualities to your sample and then decant. You've got to perform all this stuff. Um, and you've got to, it's in the language is very precise. Like you can follow that, but you have to, like, you have to have enough knowledge personally to know, oh, I know what the binding of antipathy is. That's in my list. And, you know, this is, that, oh, that's that. And, oh, I found a chemical report, a chemical retort. Uh, and then you, you, you perform this thing by by typing in the command one after the other um and it it's uh, as you go along it'll describe to you that the chemical retort is now glowing with a thing and you know it's fiery and you know you'll get lots of feedback as to whether you're doing it right or wrong and you feel great and you learn how to do this stuff um it would be really frustrating if you had to do this all the time though um because once you've learned how to do a ritual um you can just you just say perform fungicide synthesis and you will even collect the so i should explain that you can die in this game um and you'll get sort of returned in a kind of time loopy style thing with all your kind of understanding and learning and then to to re uh solve the puzzles that you've already done to get back to where you were you just say uh, perform the fun sorry for, for on the on the door and it just zips off finds all the ingredients does it for you bing bang yeah. bong and you're done and like it's just you know once you've known something it the game just allows you to do it so that's kind yeah. of really good the other cool thing is that um while it's a completely text parser game it's supported by a journal which is this automatically filling extra window um like just just fills up with all the information that you need in these you know, under useful tabs, you know, so you can always everything, you don't have to note it down yourself. It's always there recorded for you as you discover it. And then the third really great thing about it is it has a map, which is also another window, which flashes where you are, um, shows you exactly where everything is. Um, so even if you haven't, you know, it doesn't even get re um, uh, revealed as you explore, it's just all there to see. You can see exactly how well you're doing. Like, it shaves off so much of the uncertainty that's around um, a lot of text parser games where um, it can be a struggle to visualize where you are in relation to places you've been before and you can miss things so easily because you didn't read a line properly. Um, this is just, it's happy for you to have all the information because the game lies in following recipes and solving these puzzles that way, you know, oh, like, I've come up against a thing, the door I can't open. What is the particular um, ritual that I should perform to deal with this one? It's it's really fucking cool. <laughs> and it's really well written awesome. as well. And those yeah, are my weirdo good. games. 
<laughs> Alex's weirdo corner. <laughs> Should we do some questions and questions? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. We have uh, but a single question this evening from Garrick, who writes, Dear Crate and Crowbar, although he spells crate K-R-A-I-T, which must mean something. Oh, isn't that the uh, elite ship? It's a type of um, snake, isn't it? But it's also a name one of the elite ships in Elite. Oh, yeah, that's a, a razor mouse called that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're any closer to solving exactly why, why this. Anyway, um, he says, I recently played Pine, an open world game mostly about dynamic AI factions, which happened to feature a gathering and crafting system. I was initially annoyed at having to scour the world for crafting materials and remember where each resource spawned, but by the end of the game I found myself with a powerful sense of familiarity and comfort with that world as a geographic space, more than most games I've played recently. This reminded me of an article on vanilla World of Warcraft's design, which will be linked in the show notes, which suggested, among other ideas, that the seemingly time-wasting design of Old WoW actually built a strong relationship with the world itself more so than the game's more recent goal-oriented design has. My experience with both Pine and WoW inclines me to agree, but I'd like to know what you think. To what extent might slow travel, incentives to repeatedly revisit locations and the like, help build a stronger sense of place, and are there games that mitigate the perceived repetitiveness of these systems while still deriving that strong sense of world feel? Cheers, Garrick. Hmm. I am... Yeah, I I really recognise that. I I um I played World of, World of Warcraft and I um I did I do really recognise what um that piece was talking about in terms of places to become really redolent simply because you spend so long in specific areas and like it used to be so careful about regulating your journey through the world, like controlling you. Um, your progression by you know putting high level enemies that would murder you if you went out of place um and making you return to places and yeah like it by a lot of standards it was repetitive and by a lot of standards it was um you know wasteful of time maybe but um like there are places in that game that i just still remember today far more um clearly than most other games where simply by the fact that I just went there so often and did so many very similar things in them, a lot of mining and a lot of killing mobs, but um, <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's a really important quality. I, I, funnily enough, I, I just wrote an article for edge magazine about the importance of boredom <laughs> in games, um, which kind of is the same, similar sort of thing, the way that games are really good at understanding and regulating boredom um and it's easy to kind of overlook the importance of slowing things down quite often because you know the pacing of things to slowing things down making you appreciate uh things because you're not rushing through all the time is is kind of um it becomes very important to to most games i think I wonder, I'm curious how big uh, Pine is, because I'm thinking I've had this mainly with smaller games, or at least I think about like Horizon Zero Dawn. I just, 
there's no spot in that game where you could show me a screenshot of it and I'd be like, oh yeah, if you look to your left, you would see this. Or, you know, I know that this is just to the south of this city. Like, I don't have any of that. I can tell you which mm. biome it's in because <laughs> if it's the snowy bit, it's the snowy bit. Um, and I didn't get to know that space in that way because it was huge and I was just crisscrossing it all the time. I wasn't spending a lot of time in one area. I was, and I wasn't fast traveling because it's fast travel is in that game, but it's it costs a resource. And I quite like that system and i sort of leaned into it by mostly just traveling the world and it helps that i actually enjoy that and uh, when Hmm. when you have to fight stuff along the way i actually enjoy the combat in that game so that doesn't become a chore but yeah i didn't get that sense of familiarity and the ones that i have had it with um tend to be smaller games or in the case of wow you spend a lot of time in like your faction starting area don't you yeah so you get to know that really well before you move on because it's very gated you can't just blunder into a higher level area yeah. And then the one game I've had this that this really pays off in um, is Tiny. <laughs> I looked it up because I forgot the name. It's called A Bewitching Revolution. It's a little indie game about being a communist witch <laughs> in, a, <laughs> in a small community. Uh, basically, you do like tarot readings for people, but you also, in those tarot readings, you kind of try and radicalize them <laughs> and uh, convert them <laughs> to communism. And... Um, it's all about finding like community approaches to solving the problems that, that happen in the community, like replacing kind of authoritarian, um, uh, you know, systems uh, with smaller scale um, community building. And you do a lot of just errands in that. You just go back and forth between people, you know, delivering things to them, um, sorting out little problems, just helping out uh, for quite a long time. And then... Um, I won't spoil what happens, but there is a point in the game at which it becomes, um, uh, there's more time pressure. You've got to get across the city in, uh, under time pressure. And uh, it was really cool to do that. And with all this accumulated knowledge of that space and just knowing it inside out, because I know these people, you know, I know where the, where, I don't know, the librarian lives. Uh, I know where this person lives. And I, as I'm jumping over their rooftops and like ducking into these side alleys, I know exactly where the side alley is going to come out because I just know this neighborhood. Um, and that felt really good because it was kind of, that was my advantage against the authorities is, is they don't really know these people and they don't really know this place. And I do. Yeah, I guess, I mean, the secret here is that the environments need to offer some sort of mastery, right? In, in terms of how, how your knowledge of them grows. Otherwise, otherwise it's your intimacy know. with them is... Yeah, oh, really? Do you not think? Not necessarily. Is it just the, the familiarity alone enough to kind of boil you along? I mean, I, I, it has I, to be for I, me. Because I, feel... I, mm. I was thinking about the, I mean, I think the reason I, I, I shared Tom's um, experience with um, Zero, um, Horizon Zero Dawn. And like, given the number of hours I've spent in the game, it's surprising how much the world itself, you know, just simply the geography of the world has bounced off. I remember the, the atmospheres of the places and you know the biomes and stuff but yeah like places i never really kind of found much of a thing but i think some of the reason for that is that um i was always following the the little line showing me where to go i was more concentrating on <laughs> following the line you know and as soon as you get i mean it, it, it's like that in real life you know as i drive around because i use sat nav all the time and I can't remember most routes through really familiar places, you know, places close to home that I drive drive multiple times, you know, I, because I rely on the sat nav. I don't think about the place and the way things join together. And I think that um, when the games take off those training wheels, that's when. So I suppose that is a mastery, 
but it's when a game asks you it, it asks you to invest in it i don't think you need mm. to be good at it it doesn't have to offer you a challenge beyond simply hey i'm not going to make this necessarily um enjoyable or necessarily rewarding um certainly not immediately um but you know you know with time you might appreciate this <laughs> which is a which is like a pretty heavy thing to ask of a player and like a pretty heavy thing to invest in for a player <laughs> yeah i mean i mean i, I suppose it, it doesn't need your mastery such as it doesn't need to be tested but there does right. need to be some growth for it to be satisfaction otherwise it's just stockholm syndrome right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've come to love the gray box you've been forced into multiple times to ki- kill rats or whatever yeah I well i think that the best games kind of do it by stealth though like you didn't mm. realize i didn't realize that world of warcraft was doing that I, I figured at yeah, the time yeah. that the repetitiveness was mostly about um, about um, attuning me to a, actually quite a complicated, complex sort of um, fighting system and drip feeding new features, right. while also kind of you know spinning out as much content as it could. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's also the social element in WoW as well, isn't right? There? So yeah, it's, it's not... I think it's yeah, it's really important that it gives you lots of space that you can chat, you know, while playing. Yeah. I mean, I was quite pleased to tr- tread the same routes again and again and again in um, in Red Dead Redemption. Right, um, yeah, it's the same thing as well. But I mean, but I think that also has the added value that it's a very tactile game, and also you, you see those same environments in in a, multiple different weather scenarios, and there are always things changing about them. But also, just purely the the movement through that world is is a is a pleasure. Yeah, there's a particular corner of the track that was used for the Carmageddon demo (laughs) that is (laughs) embedded in my mind like permanently Uh, and it's just like there's a parking garage on your left and there's like a uh, there's some kind of building on your right but there's a little grassy verge that sticks out in a kind of triangular shape and that's the corner you just go around you turn right there Um, but I play that Carmageddon demo so many times and then I played the full (laughs) game as well that uh, I just I remember it to this day and it's extremely clear in my head like the whole sort of space is just um modeled in my brain and i've had dreams that are set there like sometimes when when my brain is trying to make up a dream and it can't think of where to set it it'll just put it in that corner of a carmageddon track (laughs) (laughs) wow It's sort of like a mind palace, but just John's Carmageddon Palace. It's not full of any useful insights. It's just like bloodied corpses of civilians and crashed cars. <laughs> <laughs> but the most important thing to know about Pine is the um, the quality of its horses' anuses, which are. Um, <laughs> incredibly slack just very slack anus horses um folds i was i was wondering if we were gonna get to this elephant in the room and how we would do it actually it does look a bit like an elephant's ass now that i mentioned it does look a lot like an elephant's ass it could be we don't actually know what manner of beast it is that's being ridden there because it's running away from the camera yeah just to explain if you want to follow along at home uh yeah go to pine-game.com and you, you too can enjoy these visual delights such as the very detailed feet. Yeah, One might say overly character. detailed feet. <laughs> and then, I don't know if, if you guys seen the, the sort of angry turkey screenshot 
there's one with an angry turkey and you've got to zoom in a lot to see it properly. But I swear the turkey's face is like almost a human face. It has oh, eyebrows. Wow. <laughs> oh. It's got a beak and that's obviously the, the turkey-ish thing about it. But there's definitely mm. eyebrows there. <laughs> Enhance. I'm just talking to my computer. Enhance. Oh, yeah. That's, that is, that's a freaky, freaky beak it face. <laughs> it looks very stern. And it, hang it's, on a minute. It's got very human eyes. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Everything else looks. What is going on with its arms? And it's got it a cauldron on its back. <laughs> what the <laughs> Christ is that? Mysteries within mysteries. Yeah. It's got tiny stubby within arms turkeys. instead of going all the way to the end of the wings. I mean, it does appear to be a fantasy creature, just to be clear. This is not a just, they're not trying to do a regular turkey. <laughs> 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 I'm intrigued by this game. Yeah, I'm gonna have a little look. At it, it does look nice. It does. Well, those are all the questions we had. Um, if you would like to send us more questions, you can do so by sending them to questions at Creighton Crowbar. You can tweet us at Creighton Crowbar. Uh, you can watch uh, or listen to this recording and others on YouTube because uh, all of our podcasts are uploaded as videos. And if you find other stuff by us there as well, the address for that is YouTube.com/slash Creighton Crowbar. Um, you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Creighton Crowbar, if you wish to do that. Thank you to the people who do so. And thank you also to our Discord community, who are very nice. And you can find them, if you wish, by going to creightoncrowbar.com and following the link to our Discord forum. That is it. I'm off to uh, wallow in Tom's car crash mine palace. I'm uh, Marsh <laughs> Davis. I'm Alex Wiltshire. I've been run over in Tom's <laughs> Carmageddon Palace. I'm Tom Francis and I live there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening.